Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. Okay, guys, how you doing? Everybody good. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that everybody's feeling well, that nobody's sick. Um, considering when this is going to come out, might be the very peak of influenza season. <laughs> oh, that's true, right? Uh, but hopefully everybody's doing well and you're getting ready for the upcoming holidays. Yes, hopefully you'll... Uh alleviate some of the anxiety with with the holiday cheer or you get more stress because you or you get stuff <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true um so today we're going to be talking about something that we have indirectly spoken about yep. numerous times and that i've been excited about doing uh mm-hmm. so we're going to talk about science yes it's going to be uh an interesting topic i want to say because sometimes it's science seems to be um almost the enemy of philosophy mm. according to some of the scientists that you hear speaking right Definitely. Um, while we tend to believe um, i'll actually i'll speak for myself i tend to believe that uh the two are not in contraposed necessarily um but i guess that's part of the things that we're going to, need to talk about yeah, and I feel like a lot of things we discuss, it's super important to talk about because there's a lot of misunderstanding, I would say. Absolutely. We're clarifying and, problems. And I would say that the misunderstanding kind of goes both ways in that some people have an understanding of science where it's like the be-all, end-all god of everything and it's capable of doing everything and therefore it is the, the, the dictator of reality. Yes. And then there's this opposite view, which says, well, science is completely wrong, right? And like it doesn't present any information about reality, and we have to therefore disregard it. And ultimately, I, I think both of us think both those positions are wrong. Absolutely. Um, so, we, so I think the goal for today is, let's say, part one, you know, a meta-analysis <laughs> of science or something like that. Yes. And then... Then whatever we could do critiques. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's interesting that that you you make that uh, you clarify that because this is true, um, and now more than ever we're seeing these two parts being at odds. Right, the one side that says we need to follow science no matter what science says because science is the new god. Right, it seems like that in a Nietzschean sense. Right, God is dead, and now we replace the place of God with science, at least some people mm. have, right? Um, which at least is better than not filling that void, right? And getting becoming a nihilist, Nietzsche would probably say, right? Hmm. But like everything, if something becomes a God and you don't question it at all, question that at all, that it becomes an issue, right? And on the other side, instead, you have people that will tell you, uh, citing uh, some philosopher, citing them wrong probably 
Nietzsche being one of them, probably, <laughs> again, mm. um, saying that, well, science is this um, oppressive scheme uh, that is put forward, but it really doesn't tell us anything about reality. It's just opinion, pretty much, and nothing else. It's an else. opinion, I was going to say, yeah. It's just an opinion. And as you were saying before, neither of these things seems right. But I, I guess that one of the things that we can say is probably we should start thinking of what it is, this thing that we call science, right? Once more to figure out how we can um, make it less religious and at the same time validate it a little bit. That's good. I think, yeah, I think it's a good way of framing the issue. Um, so obviously, like, like everything else we do, the goal is to kind of think about all the different types or things that are called science and in true Socratic fashion, figure out what they all have in common and, Hopefully we can come up with some kind of common understanding of, of the concept. Um, and another way of starting is to think about it as, you know, like a like a, a method of inquiry. This is how I always think about things: is that there are different methods of inquiries, and each method of inquiry asks about certain stuff in a certain way, and about certain aspects of reality and then goes about answering those questions or addressing them in a specific way and so i feel like when you're looking at different disciplines you just plug in the variables there it's like what kind of questions they're asking about what aspects of reality and how are they going about addressing them and, and what does that look like so I, I think these are good places to start maybe um agreed and i think that the the questions the question part is it's very important and actually uh, it tells us two things, in my opinion. Well, the first one is the fact that, obviously, depending on the question that you ask, you're going to get a specific kind of answer, right? Mm -hmm. Which sometimes is not, um, how can I say, it's not that clear to the religious scientific people, right? Uh, because they think that whatever question you ask uh, can be answered scientifically. And if it cannot be answered scientifically, well, in that case the question should have been even asked, which is problematic. Um, on the other hand, the people that delegitimize science will say that whenever we ask a question, uh, just because we're asking a scientific question, that question is not valid, so to speak. It doesn't give us any information because it's just the, that particular method, that specific mode of inquiry, uh, and only through that we're getting that kind of answer. Therefore, it's not good enough. It's mm. too relative. It's not good enough. Which is funny because this makes, in my, in my eyes, the people that don't think science is... Uh, we should listen to science, make them sort of an integralists, right? Either you can give me really all the answers or you're not good enough. Which is... They, I think that at the end of the day, the two people that we're describing, they do converge. Once... The one that decided that that's God and that's good enough, and the other ones that said that this God is not good enough for them. They want a more powerful one. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Um, and I feel like I'm thinking of actually Heidegger when we're talking about question and answers, right? Because Heidegger is very big on like, okay, to, before you even pursue the questions, the, the already, you have to understand the question. And to ask a question already kind of presupposes that there's some kind of um, understanding, even in a vague sense, about the thing asked about. So it's like, 
to even ask a certain type of question will already presuppose certain categories, let's say, for lack of a better term. And so maybe we want to start by thinking about what kinds of questions do scientists ask? Uh, so uh, definitely, and I was, I was about to say, um, definitely Heidegger has a point there, right? That whenever we ask, we're, we already know at least what kind, if not what answer, what kind of answer we're going to get. And the kind of questions, questions that scientists do ask, um, I want to say that common sense will say, the layman will say, well, those are questions about nature, right? Mm. About reality, about what's outside from us, right? Thinking it, uh, about uh, scientific disciplines like physics or chemistry, right? Or zoology or meteorology. Uh, we we just go and look at um, at these and say, well, those questions are questions about nature, about what's natural, what's not necessarily cultural, right? The things that the science studies, the layman would say, are things, just to quote always uh, out of context, things the way they are, right? It's been not, a while. Exactly. <laughs> things the way they are, not... Uh, not the way in which they are when they're touched by people, right? In their pure form. Mm. Okay, yeah, I think... Not that it's that's, true. I'm just saying this is this will be the answer that you get. Yes, I think that's probably the common understanding is that there's these things and then science studies these things and, like, the box in which all the things reside is is nature. And so science is giving us an uncolored view of this thing called nature um and something interesting which you know i'm sure we're going to get into is like to even have this certain idea of nature is already a colored thing right because it's not like that's the only way to conceive of, of, of it but it seems like they ask these questions about occurrences quote unquote out in the world yes. right it's like Things happen, and we could perceive those things happening. And I think a question, actually two questions that scientists uh, scientists ask or think they're asking is one, why? Why does that occurrence happen? Or why do these occurrences happen in this specific way? And two, how? How did that occurrence happen? And how did they happen in that specific way? And I mean, it's even interesting to make a distinction between the why and the how, which I, I think we've done maybe in a, in a prior episode, but it's important. Yes, yes. And it's funny because Newton eventually will say that the how is the, real, the pure realm of sciences, while the why is too philosophical even, right? Mm. Um, and Newton being the one, and we'll talk about it later, I guess, being the one that eventually makes the hard distinction between between philosophy and science. He's the one that eventually divides the two and say, well, we need to take away this philosophical baggage and we need to work with just data and we need to work explaining how things work and the why and the how come and the origin of things. We don't care. Um, yes, definitely they do. Uh, scientists do ask the kind of questions. I'm wondering, though, um, when we say that, um, what... 
if we can if we can come up with specific examples, right? If there's a way to make even this even more clear, less cloudy, less philosophically charged, mm. right? Okay. From why and how to so what what kind of a question could be like? Um, I'm thinking of an example. So let's say so right now it's fall, mm-hmm. and the color of tree leaves are changing, and the amount of leaves on the trees is changing. So you watch these occurrences, right? It's like, okay, previously there were this many leaves and they gave off the appearance of this color. And now there's a less amount of leaves and they have the appearance of a different color. It's like, why did that change in state happen? And or how did that change Mm -hmm. in state happen? And something I foolishly skipped over when I was listening to questions is scientists will believe they're answering the question of what, right? Like what even is this event or occurrence in the first place? Mm -hmm. Which usually comes at the end of the scientific inquiry. Mm. So we know why, we know how, uh, and we know because we can repeat this and we can expand. The result will always be the same. At least that's what they will claim. And that is this, Right. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, though, if this is, um, uh, how is this different from, from any other um, kind of discipline, right? Because doesn't philosophy kind of do the same thing? Hmm. Uh, we look at something, right? We look at an event, let's call it, an occurrence, uh, and we say, well, this is what's happening, Right. And this is why this is happening, and this is how this is happening, and this is what it is. Uh, but we probably go in a different way, don't we? I think that's true, and so maybe we have to narrow um, the question types into subtypes. So it's not just why, how, and what, but it's a particular mode of, of why, how, and what, right? So the question now is, like, what modal form of the question does science ask? And it seems to ask questions concerning the what it, what it believes to be the most fundamental rules, let's say, or structures of reality. So you might have, I don't know, a sociologist giving an explanation of what, how, and why in terms of social occurrences, right? Or some other discipline might give a similar answer, but the scientist is like, no, I'm asking the most fundamental questions about those things. And so, whereas you say it's caused by people doing this, I might say that it's certain physical processes resulting in other physical processes. Careful, because sociologists are scientists too, according to them. So, we want to... True, but even, so <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, okay, I was about to say. <laughs> no, no, I'm just joking. But um, no, the thing is this: I think it's true. Is the modality and it has to do with this properties that seems to be that have a specific characteristic. I think. I yes. think that when a scientist uh, is assuming or is individuating, uh, focusing on specific uh, fundamental. Um, principles there is there are underneath we can say appearance almost right uh, the scientist thinks and scientists believe it's part of the scientific method to believe that these properties these fundamentals are and this is a word that we probably need to discuss eventually objective right mm-hmm. that they are 
not subject to change. They're always the same and will always be the same because they're the very fabric of reality, right? And they are independent from space and time, from point of view, from anything. They're there and they will be there even if we disappeared from the face of the earth, we as human beings, right? Yes, they will still be there. So there's already this, if you want to call it presupposition, um, that there are quote-unquote mind-independent objects and properties, or in other words, Mm -hmm. things and aspects of things that are out there, independent of human interaction with them, and what makes the more, maybe get flack for this, scientific sciences scientific Mm -hmm. is that they're concerned with what they believe to be those most fundamental mind independent properties so it's not like i'm giving an explanation that utilizes something like human interpretation or some kind of explanation of events that's colored by conceptual categories the idea is that they're seeking to understand the the blank the blank parts of nature, right, that haven't been imposed upon by humanity. And uh, the interesting thing to me is that uh, the only way in which you can inquire this way about the universe, that the the world that surrounds us, is to have some sort of faith, actually, Hmm. that those things actually work that way because it is very hard. We have talked about this plenty of times in different ways. It is difficult to prove scientifically or philosophically that there are certain things that are absolutely mind-independent for the simple reason that everything that we access, we access through our mind. Mm -hmm. So it is like betting on the fact that those things are there because we have, because we access it, right? And betting on it, on the fact that our mind do not actually modify them in any way, shape, or form. That it's possible to access them in their pure form. Because again, we can we can agree maybe that if we are, let's go with the very basic understanding of how this thing works, right? Let's assume that there are things outside of us, and we may we have representation in our in our mind. We make representation of these things that are outside of us. If we have representation, they need to be representation of something. Therefore, this something needs to be there, right? Mm -hmm. So let's assume that this is proof, which is still debatable, but let's assume that this is proof of the fact that things outside of us exist. Now, the way they are in their pure form, which is the claim, one of the claims that science makes, that is problematic because, again, we don't know if our mind colors these things in a specific way. And so when we're accessing them, we're always accessing them in the human-modified way. Mm -hmm. So Um, there's there's a couple types of questions, I feel like. The one is there's a metaphysical issue, right, of like what exists, mm -hmm. which presupposes, if you're answering in a certain way, that is a certain definition of existence right so there's the issue of things existing out there beyond me but then there's also the epistemological issue of if we access it 
and how we access it, right? And how the access changes the nature of the thing, which I think is what you're saying. Exactly. Um, and to be fair, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say it seems like, and I don't know if you agree or disagree here, that I, I do think that science seems to take a what you would call like an indirect realist view of reality where they say there's things and then we perceive the things, but when we perceive them, there's properties that show up in the perception that aren't there outside of it. And this goes back to Locke, right? The idea of primary and secondary qualities. Um, yeah, so they have this worldview that there are things out there that we interact with these things in a certain way, but perhaps more importantly, that we can then explain those things, right? Like, yes. And that's a pretty difficult thing to do. Absolutely. And to, to kind of, to be fair, uh, we don't want to put all scientists in that same right, right. group because I can think at least of, of quantum physicists that will look at things a little bit differently, right? There's the famous Heisenberg principle that actually tells you that every time you're interacting, you're observing something, right? Uh, you're modifying just by observing it. That The observer becomes part kind of, and you know, we need to go into the specifics, but it's a matter of microscope looking and the electron moving because the light... Anyway, we don't mm -hmm. need to do that. Um, to say that there are some doubts, but the, generally speaking, the, your everyday science enthusiast or even scientists that are not quantum physicists, they will assume that things are in a specific way. And they will assume that it's possible to explain them fully, right? Yeah, right. I think because... The underlying metaphysical principle, which we haven't stated explicitly yet um, in capital S science, is this thing called materialism or physicalism. And the idea is that science believes that nature, right, that capital N thing we were saying, is yeah. this totality of physical and or material things and properties. Therefore, any explanation given will have to be given wholly in physical terms, right? So it seems like yes. the reason why scientists believe that in principle they can give a, an exhaustive explanation is because there's no difference in type between the, the thing explained and the, the mode of explaining the thing. They're both physical. I'll add that um, because of that, they will also say every time there is a mistake, right? Every time our explanation doesn't work or end up not working anymore, that the issue is not the system in itself, but it is rather the lack of data, right? Mm. So the scientists will tell us that if they have enough data, even if they have enough information, they can explain everything, right? They can explain fully and precisely everything. But because this doesn't happen, sometimes we get into these little hiccups that are called mistakes, right? That eventually can lead to, if the mistakes then are big enough, where these things are called changes of paradigms, uh, but there's still the paradigms that are within the materialistic framework. Yes. And so that's the, the, why it seems like when there's a mistake, as you're calling it, it's never a mistake in type. Right. It's exactly. always just a mistake in degree. Like, oh, if we had all the relevant information, 
we could give such and such a conclusion. But we didn't have all the information. And it's not because there are other types of information that is not physical. It's merely because we didn't have all the physical information that we thought we did. And it's funny because when um, materialism seems to share certain characteristics with, uh, with other systems that scientists will call ideology rather than sciences, right? Because mm. it seems to be self-contained. And as long as you play by its rules, it can never be wrong, right? I think religion is one of those systems, right? As long as you're playing within the rules of the religion, you cannot escape its logic, right? Mm-hmm. Hegelism is the same thing. Mm-hmm. If you play with the rules of Hegel, will tell me what is his mistake. There's no mistake there, right? Hmm. Uh, psychoanalysis is the same way, specifically Freud, right? If you look at it through these lenses, through the principles, everything is explainable through this principle, and you can never find a mistake. The only way to find the mistakes in these things is to step out of it somehow and to see that they maybe are narrow or there are some issues within certain aspects of them. But as long as you, but to do so, you have to contradict one of the core principles of them. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem to be allowed in science. So it's like, to go back to uh, Thrasymachus, the system is designed to preserve the system. Exactly. Um, to, to work within the system means to a- adopt a principle that the system is all that there is. And I'm thinking, like, okay, how would the scientist respond to the comparison to, you know, quote-unquote ideologies? And I think that what the scientist would say, to, to, if we're being charitable, is those things are, like, upper-level explanations or higher-level explanations. Not meaning they're better, but meaning... They're working with more, like, synthetic ingredients. They're working with combinations yes. of things that are up here. Whereas the scientist is working with explanations that are lower level, that are not combinations of concepts, but, like, they think they're working with the most basic ingredients of reality. And so they would say, yeah, the, the difference is that you could not do psychoanalysis, right? Or you could not do Hegelianism, but you can't not do physical reality because these are the rules that govern all of us. So you can't step outside of them like you could step outside those other ones. Yeah, well, the the criticism is, you know, if you contradict Hegel, nothing happens to you. If you contradict physics and try to jump off a window, yes. you'll fall, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, sure, that will, be, that will be the answer. And it seems to be self-evident right uh but that doesn't necessarily mean that because of that uh, it is true or that it is even how can we say um forget true but that it is like reasonable to believe in those terms i always make this example aristotelian physics work pretty well hmm. and functioned and they will tell you for example that um, I don't know. The earth could not move, and that was a fact. And the reason is observation, just like jumping off the window you fall. They will tell you, look around you. If the earth will move, anything that moves will produce some sort of wind, right? Hmm. But there are moments where there is no wind. Therefore, the earth doesn't move. 
Hmm. Uh, no. The other thing will be if you la if you launch a, a a big rock from a from a tall tower, the rock will fall perpendicularly to the tower, right? But if the Earth moves, really, the rock should fall either right behind it or right in front of it. But it doesn't. Therefore, the Earth doesn't move. So basing, making the difference between an ideology and science just on the observability of things, it's problematic, right? Because we have instances where that doesn't mean anything. And well, But again, to be charitable with scientists, some will say, will say, well, but some scientific truths, in fact, are counterintuitive, right? Mm. They're not, they're not self-evident. They doesn't seem to be self-evident. Yeah, they're not things you directly perce uh, perceive. Yeah, but at the same time, then, why couldn't Hegelism be the same thing? Hopefully it's not, because otherwise we're in a mess. But. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think, like, how, you know, I think the response would be, Okay, but the the difference is that when you're citing previous moments in the history of science, those things are now considered wrong because now we have, inf again, information that we didn't have. So there's this notion, and you always talk about this, of like progress. And progress means admitting that the past was wrong or at least not entirely true and that the present moment has more truth within it than those previous moments. Mm-hmm. Possibly, possibly. I would say that it's possible they would say that. But again, if I were, if I were Eagle, maybe I would say, well, what about me? Maybe some things that you think are wrong, <laughs> they, they just can't adjust them because uh, I didn't have enough information that eventually one day this will happen, right? And, you know, I don't want to defend Eagle at all. But <laughs> well, well, a quick little joke. I feel like the, the Hegelian could just say, the history of science proves his point, right? Because everything exactly. is just like the synthesis of all previous <laughs> other, moments. Other, exactly. So he's like, I'm right the whole time, guys. That's it. That's it. Um, no, but it's it's true. And and again, uh, and we are probably diverging from our first, uh, from what we're trying to inquire in the first place. But yes, so it seems to be, uh, at least what I, what I wanted to prove is the fact that it is more problematic than what it seems like at first this way in which we ask about this foundational uh, principles, this foundational events that science tries to explain. It's not easy to understand exactly what questions we need to ask, uh, how we need to ask them, and it's not easy to understand what kind of explanation we demand, right? Because all these things, as you were saying at, towards the beginning of the episode, well, those things seem to be predetermined by the mode of inquiry. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if you are um, if you're a physicist, you will look through the lens of physics at specific um, occurrences, and you will give me an explanation that within the mode of inquiry, it definitely makes sense. So, but then, if you're a chemist, you'd be like, no, 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 that's not it. Yeah, and I'm thinking. So, the first thing I was thinking is that there's definitely a confusion and i think the confusion is that when it's happening when quote-unquote science is happening you know it's there right like oh this is science yeah. taking place everyone knows what science is they oh science says this science says this science says this right and we have science classes ever since elementary school all throughout middle school and high school and we hear things on tv and we're always quoting 
But then when you get a bunch of people in a room and then you say, so, so what is science? There's like a, <laughs> uh, what do you mean? We just know. And it's like, okay, but what do you mean when you say you know? And this is always something I do in my logic class where I'm like, okay, so this should be pretty simple, right? Like we all have an understanding of what science is. Tell me what it is. And I feel like this is what philosophy does is it forces you to really think about uh, like the, dom- the domain reach of, of a specific concept. And if we're trying to think about what is the domain reach of science, I don't know. We've been doing it partially, but you just said something about physics versus chemistry, right? Where the, the physicist would give an explanation that the, the chemist would reject, perhaps. Mm-hmm. So I think that what the physicist would say is that she is correct, not just because she believes that she's correct, but because everything in chemistry, I'm going to use a fancy word, supervenes on the physical stuff. In other words, there's nothing that happens in chemistry that can't be reduced to a set of physical explanations. So the physicist says, I am the one giving the most basic explanation of the ingredients and rules for reality because everything else that you're going to tell me that's non-physics doesn't contain any information that's not already there in the physical stuff. So the physicist will say that he has the most basic uh, explanation by basic meaning, not simple, but the one that's closer to the foundation. Yes. And that chemistry is just uh, another form of explanation of principles that can be reduced to the physical ones. Yes, and as and probably biology will be the step after biology, right? and then psychology, psychology, and then sociology. And then All right. All right. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and that. But that shows us two things, right? That even though we can still reduce, even if we we accept this supervenience of things one on top of the other, uh, we still have different levels of explanation. Maybe a different level of explanation of the same thing, right? Which this thing again once more, and I think we will need a full episode to 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 talk about that. This thing is nature. What is natural, right? And nature seems to be we're able to make a specific cut when it comes to nature, depending on the look that we have, right? Well, was Nagel the look from nowhere? The, yeah, the view from nowhere. The view from nowhere, right? Um, and I think that I guess the issue that I always had uh, with scientists is the fact that whenever you talk to a scientist, they claim to have this look from nowhere, impartial uh, that it's in there, while it seems to be clear from what we're saying that there is always a specific eye that's looking, which again, in my mind, doesn't make science less legitimate. He actually puts it in its own domain, as you were saying before. He gives it legitimacy within a specific domain and and level of inquiry. It just doesn't give it like the the general understanding of the way things are again, in themselves. Yeah, I, and so when you're saying this, I'm thinking back to when we had that, uh, like, the symposium last last or two years ago <laughs> that was on science, right? Yes. Where it was like us. Two, two years ago, yeah. To, uh, uh, two scientists and then us, I think. And we gave these presentations. And one of the things that I said was that science believes that it is, like, absolutely objective. but But when you 
sort things out, what you see is that it is objective within a specific domain, right? Yes. And that's an important distinction. It doesn't mean it's fake. It doesn't mean that it's opinion. It just means it's objective with respect to a certain box that has certain parameters. So if you're in that box and you're talking about things within that box, science can give you what you want. The issue is, are there things outside of that box or is there other ways of framing the information that's in a box, like with different lines, so to speak? Yeah, the problem is the overreaching sometimes, right? Uh, also, I want to say, aside from the things that you just said, is the fact that we are sometimes under the impression that science can tell us more than what it can. They can tell us more uh, respect, you know, regards of something, regards of something uh, that it's not within that box. Hmm. To put it to put it in, in in terms of you to you use right. So here's a That's question. That's also then, problematic because I feel like a, a scientist would ask us this question. So what's not in that box? Like what what are these elusive things that you think science is incapable of explaining? I, I think would be a good question. Uh, <laughs> well, we can uh, we can mention one maybe the, of which we talk about in the first three episodes of the series. Oh, like throwback to consciousness. <laughs> right, that yeah. would be one. Um, again, they're the classic ones, like the meaning of life and uh, the why and the how of certain things, the question of values, um, the questions about science itself, right? All the meta questions, they're not scientific questions either, right? That's true. I, I'm always having this thought that like most disciplinarians are not good meta disciplinarians. So it's not exactly. like you can't use science to do meta science, right? Because you have to leave the box and kind of see it from the outside. Yep, exactly. And that is the and that inquiry is specific a philosophical inquiry. The moment you start, because you you cannot use the same instruments again. It's outside of the. It's if science is a toolbox, the the tools that you need to analyze science are not in the toolbox itself. You need something else, right? Hmm. Yeah, and I feel like when you're talking about these massive questions that I think would just get brushed off, this is relevant. So, you know, we both do uh, that Holt article, right? The, yes. The, why is, uh, what is it? Why does the world what? exist? And then he talks yeah. about this question in Heidegger, why is there something rather than nothing? Right. Nothing, yeah. Right, or depending on your translation, like... Why are there entities rather than not like whatever the different stuff? <laughs> but the idea is he, he, he talks about how religion would answer these questions and how science would answer these questions. And he says at the end of the day, the scientist is going to tell you that everything goes back to the Big Bang or like the mm -hmm. primordial state of reality. And then you go, wait, but what happened before that? And it's like, well, what do you mean? Right? Like. Mm -hmm. The kind of premise of the question either might be rejected or one would claim that it can be explained away with further scientific inquiry. But the question is, like if you're asking that question of not why is there something rather than nothing, but how did we get from nothing to something? This kind of presupposes that you go outside of the physicalness, right? Because yes. you're saying, how did we go from a zero to physical stuff? And clearly... Mm -hmm. Logically speaking, you can't use a physical explanation to explain something that happened before something like physical explanation existed, right? Exactly, exactly. And 
this is the, exactly the sense in which I was saying the tools are not there. Yeah. They cannot be there. And again, I cannot stress more the fact that this doesn't mean that science is, how can we say, useless or that it is false or it is just opinion. Uh, now, it, again, it's just a limitation that we need to accept in order to validate actually what it does. Uh, I think that it's important because I don't want anybody listening thinking that we are trying to demolish this thing by saying, well, but he cannot give us really any explanation. No, we're saying that within a specific realm, it's okay. It works. But we need to be conscious of the fact that that is just, you know, that there are limits to this. And I think a, a crude analogy, I was trying to think of something, would be like, okay, you have a, a box of nails and a hammer, and you say, yeah, a box of nails and a hammer is going to let you put together pieces of wood, right? It works. Yeah. It accurately constructs the thing you need to construct that will perform, perform well, right? But mm -hmm. then it's like you don't use the nails to put together the, the cake ingredients. Or like you don't put nails yeah. to hold your bread together. Yeah. So yeah, I think definitely. it's something like that. Definitely. And uh, on the other side, I think that it is necessary, and I think there will be a great deal of good to to our our society or our way of living if we would understand that not only scientific questions have dignity, because this is the other thing. When we think that everything of importance can be answered via science, everything cannot be answered. Everything that cannot be answered that way becomes less dignified hmm. and actually becomes the things that we just have mentioned becomes opinion uh subjective not important false unprovable and so on and i think that making this keep making the distinction between science and everything else needs also to include somehow the fact that things that are not scientific also have dignity hmm. and similarly you know those questions you're talking about can't always be even addressed. So, so someone like Neil deGrasse Tyson, for example, right? Like yes. highly respected, right? He once made this, this tweet about... Not by us. Not by, by us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he once made this tweet that was talking about, oh, you know, if there was... There should be a world governed completely by quote-unquote reason. But of course, he doesn't mean reason because that's a logical enterprise he means scientific reason and so he says there should be a world governed exactly by this and and that would make the perfect utopia and that's scary because how do you subject values to a scientific analysis explanation and prescription exactly and the point is that values are subjective and we shouldn't even we shouldn't even talk about it according to this to him, for example, right? And there are personal things that have nothing to do with the way we should live our lives, which Kierkegaard will pull all his few hair out if he was still alive listening to that. And quite frankly, I would want to do the same thing every time I hear something like this. Mm. Um, again, reestablish the by limiting and giving a foundation to sciences we need at the same time to give dignity to whatever is not scientific. And, and it's not scientific cannot be 
uh, synonymous with BS. And it's kind of a contradiction, right? To be on the one hand, like values are subjective, but then also say, but we could deal with them in a scientifically objective manner. Exactly. So that's interesting. But okay, so we're running out of time here. Maybe in the next episode, we could dig a little deeper into the original questions of what scientists study, what they don't study, and maybe we can speculate about some normative stuff with science. Yep. All right. See you later. See ya. Thank you.